3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Hello and welcome to Morning Breakfast. You're here with um, Ivan and Will in studio. Hello. Hello. The um, date is the 4th of July, so we've officially made it into the middle of winter. That's right. Um, it's getting freezing. Mm. Um, I had to put on, I think, six layers to get here. Wow. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty darn cold outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, being, being the 4th of July, we can't forget to mention a very important date, um, mm. which was Canada Day on the 1st of July. <laughs> um, and so to all our Canadian friends, to Judith, um, hope you're travelling well. Yep, um, definitely. Have a, I hope you had a wonderful Canada Day. Big shout out to Canada Day. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, so how have you been, Adrian? I have been okay. I've been sick. I think the mm. flu is going around everywhere. Yes. So it's just knocking a lot of people out and a lot of people being knocked out of the station mm. and everywhere. So mm. we're a bit stretched mm. thin. But it's okay. That's we're right. Here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got some interesting conversation coming on the show today. First of all, we're going to start off with um, Songs of Satire. Isn't that right? What are we listening to? Yeah. Uh, Songs of Satire. Well, in favour of um, NADOC Week, which is this week, uh, we'll be celebrating the wonderful classic uh, Black Fella, White Fella. And we're mm-hmm. going to break that down on air today, I figured, because um, we could have a bit more of a discussion about it. Uh, seeing such a brilliant song, such a yeah. song. So that'll be the first thing we have. Uh-huh. Uh, we've also got a few segments coming up from In Your Face. Yeah, the great face of, uh, folks yeah. from Friday. Really fun. Time. So they'll be talking about all sorts of different things. And we've got a few of that, to, a few things of that to listen to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll also have, um, it's the first Wednesday of the month, yes. so our good Tim Jones is coming in. <laughs> we'll be talking about the Royal Commission into uh, Institutional responses to child sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah. we'll be, um, we'll be talking be a bit about that. In the show, and yeah. um, we're also going to be spruiking some events that are coming up with uh, NADOC Week being next week. Mm-hmm. Um, as you may know, it's the first Sunday of every month. Uh, sorry, not every month. Um, it's the first Sunday of July, and yep. it runs to the second Sunday of July. So, um, yeah. so there's quite a bit happening, and we've got some great coverage coming up on 3CR. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. But um, yeah. first, we're going to have the alternative news segment. Yeah. Some folks know about it, some don't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah. Boom, nitty-gritty. Ooh-wee. 
The Real Nitty Gritty by Shirley Ellis introduces our weekly segment, which is alternative news. We bring yeah. you the news that the mainstream media are and aren't bringing to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to start off with a quick look at the newspapers. So we've got in front of us the Herald Sun, the Australian <laughs> and the Age. Does not bode well. Mm. Well, I mean, they are, they are the major newspapers and they inform what a lot of people are, well, I mean, what some incre- decreasing numbers of people, but still a lot of people uh, are thinking about and saying. And so on the Herald Sun, of course, they've got the news and they've got all the other bits, but very prominent is coverage of the uh, the 12 boys and their assistant soccer coach who are trapped in a cave in yeah. northern Thailand. Um, it's a fascinating story. It definitely does have definitely. a lot of... Um, Human interest is what they call it, I suppose. Human interest, definitely. Yeah. That's a story so, that we can all relate to. Mm, and what, what, what do they really mean by human interest? It's like stories about sort of struggles, personal, uh, personal, struggles. Yeah, personal yeah. stories and stuff mm. like that. It's personal experiences. Yeah. I think the whole world was shocked when we lost them. Uh, and and so the fact that again. they got found yeah. is everyone, you know, it's, it's a yeah. good cause of celebration. So, so it's definitely a very life. interesting story, and it's fantastic yeah. that they've been found in this cave, and, um, it, it, you know, there's a lot of sympathy for um, for these 12 young young boys and their coach um, for the, the what it sounds like it's going to be arduous months ahead trying mm. to get out of this cave. Sounds like it's going to be a very difficult procedure. Yes. Um, but what I wanted to bring attention to, really, was the the coverage that this has like of course it's a it's a spectacular story why wouldn't you put it in your newspaper um and it's got a double page spread on pages four and five which is usually um at least in the herald sun reserve for for the big stories like this Mm, yep um other things going on in australia things that impact the the daily lives of australians um and I just, I just think it's um, definitely we've got upcoming elections. Yeah, we've got, you know, yeah, legislators yeah. we need to be paying attention Absolutely. to. Absolutely, yeah. There's a, um, a a court ruling sending a young asylum seeker girl from from Nauru who yeah. had been sent to Port Moresby of all mm. places to get um, treatment for potentially fatal encephalitis. Yeah, who's since been ordered to be sent to Australia for for. Tra- uh, for treatment, yeah, and um, you know this is something that I I want on the front pages of the Herald Definitely. Sun and the Australian. Definitely. But, um, um, Not so, sure so you're going to find yeah. them on the Herald Sun, Will. Unfortunately, no, no. Um, but you know, like but definitely, this Herald, is stuff we ought Herald to know Sun about. has has you know provided good journalism in the past, as mm. much as I sort of you know shudder every time I say its name. Yeah. But <laughs> I just think it's um, so. As a result, um, I'm led to ask questions about whether it is. A neutral thing that they put this, um, this you know, admittedly interesting, but not necessary or important story. Not yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And it's on the cover of. To be fair to the Herald Sun, uh, it's on the front cover of all of the three pages mm. that we have in front of us. We don't have the the AFR, the Australian Financial. No, unfortunately, no. Weekly, no. The Financial Weekly or something. I don't remember what it's called. I just know <laughs> that it's there sometimes, and I read it, <laughs> and I don't when it's not. But anyway, um, it's front page of all three pages. Obviously, very interesting but it's taking up space that could be spent on stories that are maybe more timely. Yeah, or, no. No, not timely. Perhaps. What's uh, more, more relevant to an Australian audience yeah. in a way that yeah. we have quite a few things mm. coming up and we need to be paying attention yeah. to them. Yeah, basically what I'm focusing on for myself is to stop seeing um, interesting news stories on the front of a newspaper as being a sort of a neutral choice. It was yeah. a decision by an editorial board that decided that that would be there and take up the space that something else wouldn't. Definitely. And I think yeah. you were saying, mentioning before, Will, but like at the moment, especially, a lot of stuff in Australia is not being recorded. We've got mm. offshore matters. We've mm. got uh, you know, the anti-protest laws coming in. Like, 
even yeah, more that, so than such ever. Great, um, great coverage from yeah. Tuesday Breakfast yesterday. Yeah. If you um, want to listen back to the podcast, mm. just search up Tuesday Breakfast on any podcasting device, um, podcasting app, really, and you yeah. can listen back to the show. Otherwise, you can head to 3cr.org.au and just look up Tuesday Breakfast and listen to their most recent program. It was um, it was Lauren who went on um, what she described as a anti anti fascist rant and. Um, Long may she rant. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I think the idea that we have to be really conscious about what's being on our newspapers mm. really Absolutely. heightened. Yeah. Uh, what really what have important. you been reading? Yeah, so I really want to talk about the uh, Ramsey Centre and their proposed course, The Bachelor of Western Civilization. Mm. And this has been in the news quite a bit because just a few weeks ago, the Ramsey Centre proposed new course, this mm. Western Civ- Bachelor of Western Civilization, mm-hmm. was rejected by the ANU, uh, the Australian National University, up in mm. Canberra, for those who don't know. Mm. Now, this has been Which is a m- shame, because I'd be very interested to learn about Western yeah. culture. Like, I've yes. never heard of it before. Definitely. <laughs> this, yeah. is the, this is the differentiation that's really important, because right. it's been in discussion for months about mm. what the uh, course means, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And its rejection was actually quite surprising. Um, mm. Now, it's really important, the rejection, though, because the university actually went online and published a full manifesto of, like, the reasons why. Mm-hmm. So it gave a really full explanation. And then it was, there was a huge kickback in the media with the CEO of the Ramsey Centre actually replying. Mm. So I'll read you out what the ANU first said as its reason for rejecting the course. It said it was due to concerns about the extraordinary prescript, extraordinarily prescriptive micromanagement controlling approach by the Ramsey Centre to its governance, particularly in relation to the curriculum and staffing decisions. And this is from an article in The Conversation mm. where the Vice Chancellor and Chancellor actually published an article um, in response. But the ANU's Chancellor and Vice-Chancellor state that the Ramsey Centre kind of wanted to control the course and would have done this through a management committee uh, where they could have, where the Ramsey CEO and academic director would have made all staffing and curriculum choices. Uh, there was also suggestions of in-class surveillance to monitor how the course was being Jesus. implemented and an annual, like a formal annual review of the program. Mm. So between these back-and-forth negotiations, uh, the uni says that the Ramsey Centre continued to push these amendments, and when it came out, the uni came out and said, no, we want to be independent in the running of this. Um, they then ran that through the chairman of the Ramsey Centre, mm. who is John Howard, mm. and it was rejected. It was said no. So the requests were not met, and the university decided to reject the course. However, what was covered in the mainstream media was completely different. Mm. So this is why this is really alternative news, I think, is because of how this article was reported. Because instead of respecting those limitations, uh, the, the uni's answer, um, it was published in an article in The Australian mm-hmm. by Simon Haynes, uh, the CEO of Ramsey Centre, by saying outright rejection of the reasons and saying that, they was, that the, the reasons from the ANU did not stack up. Mm. And basically what the article skewed was that the university's Reasons were instead kind of like leftist propaganda, which would kind of say that the university, its staff, its students were more ideologically opposed to the content of Western civilization and wanting to actively prevent that kind of education mm. rather than the actual managerial reasons that the uni sure. had stated. Okay. Yeah. So on the one hand, you have ANU, the Australian National University in Canberra, concerned about the suppression of free academic debate in yeah. those classes mm-hmm. that would have been required by the Ramsey Centre to run this course yeah. versus the supposed free speech warriors on um, on the side of, you know, Tim... Um, of Haynes and uh, Tony Abbott. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, Tony yeah. Abbott, who's one of the, the biggest spokespersons. One of the big spokespersons, yeah, and I'll get into that. And John that. Howard as well. And yeah. so, so they're saying that the 
ANU rejected this the idea for this course mm. um, based on more sort of ideological, shallow ideological kind yeah. of leftist reasons. Yeah, reasons. more leftist yeah. reasons, okay. rather than just the managing of the course, which sure. is what the ANU had a problem sure. with. So prior to the decision, the mm-hmm. biggest kind of supporters of this, as you said, was uh, figureheads like Tony Abbott and News Corp media outlets mm. mainly. And this has been deliberately misinterpreted by mainstream Thing. So I'd like to just do a little background check and just give you a little bit of reference for the course. Um, I know it has passed over now, but I think it's important to contextualise this mm. before we move on from it. So the Ramsey Centre for Background was founded in 2017, so it's really relatively new. Mm-hmm. And it's an organisation aimed with the education around Western civilization, sure. which sounds seemingly innocuous. Um, with the CEO, Simon Haynes, and John Howard acting as a chairman, uh, it has the most, as I said, from media outlets such as The Australian and figures, as you said, such as Tony Abbott. Um, but where it gets a little bit more concerning or a little more something that we need to pay attention to is actually within Tony Abbott's piece in the Quadrant magazine on the 5th of April, um, where it really he speaks on behalf of the course and he really describes what it's about. So uh, this is a direct quote from Tony Abbott and the article, but it is, the key to understanding the Ramsey Ramsey Centre for Western Civilization is that it's not merely about Western Civilization, but in favour of it. Ah, okay. So all of a sudden, our Western civilizations, instead of being a scholastic critique or analysis of Western It's something that needs to be advocated for, it's something that needs to be... So so it sort of places Western Civilization in the position of either something that is of a minority or something that's being attacked. And yeah. that's, that's interesting and I reckon, because it's not. I reckon, yeah, I reckon it's, it, it's, it's essentially an advertisement. Sure. In a lot of ways. It's an, adult, it's like an a lobby endorsement. Group. Yeah. Lobby group. And yeah. it's an endorsement of, you know, science, history, philosophy and art mm-hmm. and all these Western ideals, which of course aren't. are everywhere. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and to further this, like Abbott continues to say, you know, the fact that the course is for the cultural inheritance of countries such as Australia, rather than just interested in it. Which places Australia as a Western country, which... Yep, which well, it's not, mm, <laughs> again, you know, yeah. or it shouldn't be, because we know we have such a multicultural foundation here. Mm. Um, and just just the hypocrisy of this, because these are the right-wing academics, I f- feel, that who are behind a lot of the cuts, or who were behind a lot of the cuts in university spending, mm, yep. that actually cut, you know, uh, that left kind of courses like art, history, philosophy, withering. Mm. So it's it's this weird sort of skew of what the Ramsey Centre suggested the course mm. was, yeah. and then you know what the NU said. <laughs> you sure? And then yeah. So we don't have to think any longer really about um about this specific course getting up. Yeah, but no. it's sort of just a very interesting case study in. It's an important case study. The 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 sort of intentions of people like Tony Abbott who are still in power. Definitely, and, definitely, yeah. and I think it's also a really good study of um what seems innocuous, the Western mm. Civilizations course. Sounds interesting. It sounds, you know, like a possible study that you could involve yourself in, but the connotations behind it mm. are deeply, yeah. deeply concerning. Also, European studies already, already exists. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. No, it, it already exists, and it's been yeah. done to death as It's well. done by all of those yeah. arts law double diploma sort of North Shore Sydney people. So Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. The, mis- uh, and the representation of the ANU as the victim uh, – not, uh, sorry uh, – as the the demon in this place and the Ramsey mm. Centre as the victim of this narrative mm. just shows you that mainstream media didn't really pick up on its facts as much as it ought to have. Sure. It kind of, yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway. Well, thanks um, for bringing that to us. Um, no yeah. Uh, We're going to go now quickly, I think, into a little song. Uh-huh. Um, so we've got Black Smoke by um, an artist called Emily Warmer. And we're going to put her on now. And, yeah, we'll come back to you afterwards with Songs of Satire. Mm. 
I'll be sleeping under stars tonight. Not sure exactly where I'll be. Maybe underneath the moonlight, or maybe underneath that tree. Black smoke riding in the sky tonight. Everything will be alright if you.
You're on 3CR. That was Black Smoke by Emily Waramara. The time right now is 7.22. Today it's going to be windy with a shower or two developing, 13.5 degrees right now, and we're going to get up to a top of 16, which is oh, nice and warm for this winter. nice and warm for this winter, but yes. With the wind and the rain, you won't really feel it, I'm afraid. Uh, what's coming up next? Right, so we've got Songs of Satire coming up next. So we're going to do something different, as I said before, and have this live to air. So mm. if with your permission, we'll get started. Uh, this week's song is Black Fella, White Fella by the Warampi Band. Mm, Warampi Band. We played it a couple of times on um, on 3CR Breakfast oh, in the past. Classic. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. such a good song. Black Fella, White Fella. Fantastic. So we're going to go a little bit into it today. Mm. But um, the song itself is quite uh, overt within its meaning, which is fantastic because it's so it, it communicates so much to the masses because mm. you can instantly understand its message and yeah. it's instantly memorable. Yeah. But uh, let's go behind some little-known behind facts. So it was released in 1985, and the song really coincides with the Indigenous uh, Aboriginal rights movement of the second half of the 20th century. So this is a decade seeing uh, the decade before the song was released. We'd had things like uh, the Anti-Discrimination Act, mm. the end of the white uh, immigration policy, uh, Commonwealth Aboriginal land rights, and this was all. So this was kind of contextualising it. Also during the song's conception, we have. We also had the uh, really famous Come to Canberra campaign mm. and the return of Uluru. So this song was hitting it right right in the centre of the kind of the massive movement that was going mm. on. Mm. Um, and, however, whilst the song does draw attention to racism and the continual fight against race-based discrimination within Australia, it's much more than just that because writers Neil Murray and George uh, Rumbu really use the song to encourage unity and cooperation within all Australians. Yeah, it's quite a conciliatory message. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's not furious um, yeah, as, as much as you'd expect from people who have been victims of genocide, essentially. Yeah, yeah. completely oppressed, right? Mm. Yeah. And that's why I'm thinking it's more of an anthem than satire. So mm, um, mm. I suppose with the horrible uh, litter of motif we've kind of built up, it'd be more analysing um, anthems than yeah. some <laughs> sure, satire. Sure, sure, sure. But it's a great song, so it's worth um, revisiting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's kind of this call of equality, integrity, tolerance, and the song really carries the the, the motif of anthems with this mm. rousing tone. So it kind of represents the ideals. It rep- sorry, it doesn't kind of. It represents the ideals of the group of people. Mm. And in ca- that case, it is Australia. Mm. And it calls really to what Australia should be. Yeah. So it's interesting because the song starts out with the line, black fella, white fella. And we have this immediate contrast because they use a really large musical gap right at the beginning between mm. black fella and white fella. And this deliberately causes, um, I think at least, dramatic tension. Um, the audience might feel almost apprehensive because this deliberate kind of music schism mirrors kind of the division we have or we see within our society. However, this is immediately followed up with as long as you're a true fella or a real fella. And mm. so race is completely dismissed in some ways. Mm. And it calls for instead kind of like this idea of integrity over skin tone and shifting the tone of the piece to more of an empowering rather than a violent critique, as you were saying before. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So intending, extending to incorporate all people of different races, this is only strengthened throughout the song, as it not only attempts to unify Australians, uh, current Australians, but also new Australians. Uh, celebrating the rise of multiculturalism that we were saying before uh, is present within Australia, especially with the term yellow fella, which I looked up, refers to people of all races. Um, and that was kind of also occurring during Australia's history within the uh, second half of the 20th century with the rise of migrant, you know. Um, and this is also really highlighted, I really love this example, by it doesn't matter what your name is, which really attacks the cultural bias we hold internally with names. So a last or first name gives us a lot of information on that person, and it's really easy from a, a name ending in Ski or Smith to kind of make assumptions on ethnicity and thus form stereotypes. 
And this is what the song actively dismisses. It, it, it references things such as names and etymology or religion or the different backgrounds and places that we come from and dismisses this as reasons to alienate or reject. Mm. Um, and the uh, writer Neil Murray actually says his inspirations came from a time working in a small community called Papunya, which was a mainly indigenous community, but he said what happened is all the different races and different backgrounds and stuff like that worked in unity, and he said, why can't we have this for the whole of Australia? So this kind of tolerance integrity fulfills the first side of the song, and then we see a bit of a shift mm. with the second half. So it calls... Australia's, it, it turns to a direct call to Australia to impose these values within their lives and to kind of lead a social revolution of sorts to make Australia truly a land of the fair go, which is a term that's bandied around a Pro- lot. Problematic, definitely. <laughs> yeah, problematic. Bandied around a lot, but not really accomplished, I think, a lot of the time. Mm. Um, so calling for revolution, another motif of anthems, uh, the band states for a lot of changes that Australia needs to go through, and it actually rallies all brothers and sisters into this conglomerate that only United can kind of make this more fair and friendly Australia, that can mm. save Australia from the discrimination and tolerance. And here's the really f- cool bit, is when it confronts the audience through this repetition of, are you the one? Singling out the audience as the agents of change. So are the ones who are going to stand up and be counted to be there and shout it to be the helping hand? And I feel this direct call kind of makes the audience responsible and accountable to this dream of Australia. So kind of finishing the song, it highlights the sinking ships that, uh, or failures that we do already have, such as racism, intolerance, xenophobia, that we show to people both inside and outside Australia. Mm. And it calls us to stand up and be counted, um, to fight and get representation and build this new Australia. So I think this is a unique piece, and it's not all about... It's not all critique, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It kind of begins with this anthem, championing these values, then it attempts to shape the perspective... There's a call to action at the end of the song. Yeah, and it shapes this new perspective of what Australia could be, which is mm. a really beautiful, inclusive one that we mm. just don't hear enough times in our narrative. And right. I think it's I think it's a really good anthem. Yeah. <laughs> it does have a bit of the... Um, uh, I don't know, there's like... When, when I think about... Um, sort of music and arts that hit the mainstream and mm. um and live in the mainstream. So what I really mean is the white consciousness. Yeah. Um especially from from the 80s. Yeah. Uh it's only songs like this that are permitted to stick around, songs which are affirming, songs which are mm. positive. Very good. Point. Um I'm I'm thinking I mean I I don't have any I didn't live through the 80s, so I wouldn't be able to <laughs> I wouldn't be able to um uh sort of pick out songs that I think haven't haven't uh Gained the sort of been maintained as part of the legacy that mm. should should be known yeah, by everyone, yeah. but I'm thinking about a uh, a much more recent song by Dreaming Now. Um, although they, they spell the name D R M N G N O W, Australia does not exist. That's been played a couple of times on three CR um, three CR Breakfast, and it's um it's uh definitely less friendly. Yeah. To to a sort of everyone getting along, hand holding kind of idea of what reconciliation or, or yeah. the idea of reconciliation rather than um treating a reparation and so um that's yeah just i just wanted to put out there a, a, <laughs> an alternative definitely, definitely. um uh yeah so yeah great great analysis of the song though it was, it was fantastic to li- no, listen yeah. to you so we'll probably we'll break we'll hmm. play black fellow white fellow f- for you now uh-huh. and if we have time we might get on to will's song as well because hmm. that sounds pretty cool yeah Black fella, 
was Blackfellow Whitefellow by Warumpi Band, which we were just speaking about on Songs of Satire, or mm-hmm. Songs of Anthems, I suppose. Analyzing Anthems. Three. That's right. Um, and you are listening to 3CR Breakfast, mm. here yes. with Idwin and me, Will. Hello, hello. Hello, everyone. So, for our next bit, we're going to go into um, a recording from the uh, In Your Face. So, James speaks with the VAC's LBQ Women's Project leader, Rachel Cook, and Rainbow Family Victoria's Felice Marlowe about the 2018 um, LGBTQIA Women's Health Conference. So they're discussing the importance of exploring existing research in the LGBTQIA's women's health sector and the diverse reach of conference topics and themes. And this conference will be running from July the 12th to the 13th in Melbourne, uh, if you are interested. And for more information, you can always register at the conference uh, lbq.org.au. 
the Queer Collaborations Conference brings together LGBTIQ university students from all around Australia. On the line, I have Phoebe LeBrock, who's one of the organisers of the conference. Welcome to 3CR, Phoebe. Hi, James. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on board. So tell me, what's the main goal of Queer Collaborations? Well, I guess the best value in Queer Collaborations is that it allows queer students from around Australia to unite and discuss the current issues that are facing our generation. So what made you decide to get involved as one of the organisers? It's a big job. <laughs> it has been a really like great opportunity, to be honest. And because it moves from university to university every year, when it came to UQ, we you know, really didn't know whether we'd see it in Brisbane in the next five years again. So there was you know, no question whether or not I'd love to you know, join up and help out. So what does queer collaborations hope to achieve for transgender or gender questioning or gender diverse students? Well, we have four national autonomous caucus or caucuses that are hosted yearly as per the queer collaborations policy. And one of those is Tis Good, so for trans, intersex and gender diverse people. We also have several workshops that are hosted by trans and gender diverse people and they all focus on issues facing Tis Good persons. Um, queer collaborations really endeavours to put discourse about trans and gender questioning and gender diverse people in the rightful hands of those who identify with it. Because it's a challenging issue. It's great that it's an issue that's getting a voice. It's challenging because there's a lot of discrimination for trans and gender questioning people and often it's an issue that's swept under the carpet. Um, do you find mm-hmm. in Queensland yeah. as a university student and also from your, your feedback from your peers in other states that there's much transphobia on Australian university campuses? A lot of the transphobia is more of an inherent uh, institutionalised issue. I feel like a lot of people don't realise how transphobia can transcend spaces and it comes across in ways that are really harmful to trans people but are also not as obvious to people who aren't aware of those issues. So how does queer collaborations tackle the, the, the issue that's getting a lot of coverage at the moment, a lot of discussion, the issue of bi erasure? Uh, what's the conference going to do to kind of, you know, address that issue, to give a voice to bi people? Well, bi erasure is definitely going to be something that we're going to be debating during our conference floor. We also do have a couple um, workshops. I'm hosting one myself talking about um, multi-gendered attracted people and how we kind of have to trans relate the space between the straight world and the queer world and what it's like to be in that tricky position. And what is that like? Like, what's your own experience of of navigating that zone like? It's really a difficult period to have to be in a queer space and to see queer people who are very very happily can bring their partners into this queer space. But you may feel that if you are someone who's dating a cis-het person, you may feel that that person isn't welcome in those queer spaces. But it would be lovely if we could welcome those people who are partners of bisexual people into queer spaces as, you know, kind of like these guest members who are within our community as well. University life can be a very isolating experience for many LGBTIQ folks. Um, What do you think student unions could do better to address that? Definitely we need to advocate for queer-friendly spaces, especially when it comes to gender-neutral bathrooms and accessible bathrooms. There's also, like, definitely a need for a queer safe space on every campus in Australia.
And is that something that's not there at the moment? Like, is, uh, is that something that, you know, many universities are lacking, that kind of safe space? Um, it definitely is. And we're really lucky at UQ to have a safe space that is dedicated for queer youth. But I do know of some campuses, and it does tend to be in the rural areas that have not yet had that queer space provided for them. And um, there... beyond that, we just need more ally training for university staff and, and students, especially for respect for trans and gender diverse people. Yeah, I imagine in some universities, especially in rural areas, there's quite a bit of discrimination towards queer people from university staff. Is that what you're hearing? We do hear this come across a lot, and that's why we have groups such as the Rural and Regional Alliance of Queer Students. Um, these groups that, you know, they take all that information in and they give rural students a place where they can discuss it and, you know, present how we can challenge it. You mentioned gender-neutral bathrooms. Is there much debate on Aussie university campuses about the creation of gender-neutral bathrooms? I mean, if you go by online content, there does seem to be quite a lot of discourse when it does come to establishing them. But we do see them around a lot, but some people seem to have an issue with establishing more, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, you mentioned you mentioned online communication. Do you find that queer students are getting harassed online from other students? Is 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 that a space where where, you know, university campuses need to do more work to address online harassment? Well, thankfully in my experiences I've seen it become less prevalent. Um, especially when it comes to university groups that are online and that operate online. It seems to be becoming less and less of a thing to see homophobia and transphobia as, you know, like something that's debated online and something that is tolerated online. To what extent will queer collaborations address issues for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander queer students? Well, we do have the conference for POC KLD students, so the people of colour, the culturally and linguistically diverse. So we do have that space where they also can come together and talk about the issues that are currently facing them. We also do endeavour to keep queer collaborations as up-to-date and possible and involved with our outer community that is in the same margins that we are. So how many people are you expecting at the conference? It sounds like a great gathering. Yeah, well, with tickets still kind of on sale right now. We're hoping that we're going to probably hit about 150 for the whole week, which is fantastic. So it goes for a whole week? It does go for a whole week, yes. We have events from uh, Sunday up to Saturday. So what's the, what's the date of the conference? The first date of conference four is the 1st of July. Fantastic. So not too far away. Now, I've got to ask you, Phoebe, it sounds like an awesome program. What's the highlight, do you think? What's that workshop that you think uh, is the most kind of, you know, exciting? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be our inaugural AQSN Awards Gala Night. Oh, really? happening on the Thursday night. Tell yes, me more about that. Yes, it's Awards Night. Um, so on the Thursday night, uh, which is the 5th of July, we are inviting speakers such as Paige Wilcox, who won the award at um, the Brisbane Pride Awards recently for um, Trans Activist of the Year. And we have 10 categories open, and anyone is able to nominate queer students around Australia to receive an award for those categories. Awesome. Phoebe LeBrock, best of luck with queer collaborations, and thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR. It's great to talk to you. Excellent. Thank you so much, James. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.
listening to 3CR Community Radio. Um, we were just listening to... Um, James speak with uh, Rachel Cook and Felicity Marlowe, and that was about the LGBTIQIA, sorry, Women's Health Conference, which is running July the 12th to the 13th in Melbourne. And if you're interested, I'll just repeat, the website was lbq.org.au. And you can find uh, In Your Face, Will, was it... What day? In Your Face uh, is our Friday home time program. So they Wonderful. run from 4 p.m. every Friday. James and Yvette um, produce some really great radio centered around queer themes, LGBTQIA interest, and, um, and they're proper real journalists. General cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. So listen in, and they've got great interviews every week. Definitely. And we'll be listening to a little bit more of them uh, coming up. Mm. However, before we get into that, well, I think there was an article you're interested in. That's right, yeah. I was, um, it's a sort of like a little crusade of mine, and a lot of people, I suppose, trying to get Australians more interested in what's happening in our neighbouring countries. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, um, you know, how many people in Australia know what's going on in Indonesia? Um, you, you may be aware that homosexuality is not illegal in most of Indonesia, except for the province of Aceh, which was awarded special rights after a protracted civil war. Right. Um, but in the majority of Indonesia, homosexuality is not illegal, but there has been the punitive use of anti-pornography laws, which have definitely impacted and they've, um, the, the LGBT community in Indonesia and, um, it's worth mentioning that there are now palpable effects of this happening. So um, there has been a rise, a, a fivefold increase um, of HIV rates amongst men who have sex with men, and um, from 5% to 25% of men who have sex with men are infected yeah. with HIV. And um, that's that's very noticeable. It was in 2016, thereabouts, that the, um, the anti-LGBT um, rhetoric became really big, and um, for my source, I'm referring to an article by Philippa H. Stewart in Human, on Human Rights Watch. Um, Philippa works as the Sydney media, media officer there and wrote a very good article on Indonesia's anti-LGBT tirade and the da- disastrous impact on health. Uh, and so the way in which the anti-pornography laws are used to target LGBT people is to take, um, to find LGBT spaces, um, which might include uh, a gay sauna, or there might be a, a cinema or a club, and um, charge the patrons at this club and also the proprietors as violating various anti-pornography laws. And so, pornography is more loosely defined in Indonesia than it would be. Um, it's it's less publication in terms of on paper or on the internet, hmm. but more about the visibility of certain conduct, and um, it's. Um, much more given to the Indonesian authorities to class homosexuality and um, non-heterosexual um, behaviour <laughs> as as por- pornographic in public. Rather, so wow, so, so this yeah. is a huge cultural problem. Even though, mm, yeah, uh, in fact, it was the uh, I think it was the Minister of Defence in 2016, and this is quoted in the article, um, uh, who said that the the rise of LGBT organisations um, who are asking for for, for greater civil rights in Indonesia, mm. um, is more insidious than nuclear war. You know, um, his, his argument is that if a nuclear bomb drops over Jakarta, then yeah. Samarang, a different city further along in, in Java, won't be affected. Right. But, um, with the rise of LGBT rights, um, that can, quote, end everything. 
or we lose everything is what he said. Um, and so it's, wow, it's that sort of rhetoric, um, from back in 2016, which yeah. we're now seeing results of, um, you can't draw a direct line, obviously, between, mm-hmm. between the, um, the anti-LGBT stance of the Indonesian governments, yep. um, uh, LGBT, um, sorry, the Indonesian government and, um, and police and civil society groups, um, like the Nadlatul Ulama, which is the largest, um, uh, Muslim organization. It's quite a conservative organization. Right. Indonesia, in Indonesia. Um, but, uh, to the, to the rise of HIV among, yeah. amongst men who have sex with men, but it's still, it's, you know, it's, it's still hard to ignore. Um, yeah. that the, both have been rising alongside each other. And so, yeah, that's definitely something that I'd recommend pe- folks listening up on. Mm. If you want to um, sort of com- – uh, it might not be helpful to compare Australia to Indonesia, but it's um, worth re- sort of seeing what's seeing what's happening in the region. And, um, definitely worth seeing what's mm. happening in the region, especially seeing as uh, last week we had um, Nicholas Hollis on our show. Yeah, n- uh, Nick, Nick Hollis, sorry. Nick, uh, Nick Hollis, yeah. Talking about right. the U equals U campaign. So it does mm. show you that there's this – you know, in certain parts of the world, there's these huge movements towards um, awareness and advocation and protection yeah. and safe sex. Of the um, rights of people who have HIV and of, of um, st- stopping the spread of HIV as yeah. well. So, um, um, our producer said something before, but it's mm. one of those topics that just continues and keeps going. Yes. And it's always yeah. important to keep your ear to the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, if you want to look up that article, I'll, I'll, I'll quote the, ta- the title of the article again. Um, Witness, Indonesia's anti-LGBT tirades, disastrous impact on health. Was written by Philippa H. Stewart, and you can find it on humanrightswatch.org. Mm. Well, thanks, Will. Um, it's kind of fascinating article, and one I think we really need to hear about. Uh, mm. We're going to go into uh, the song you were referencing before, which is Australia Does Not Exist by Dreaming Now, and that's uh, Dreaming is spelled D R M N G now, if you wanted to look it up. And yeah, we'll come back after that. Take that land, take it for our own. Go 
Cause you take a stand, we'll nail before the throne, nail before the crown. Hands on the ground, then we'll take all the kids. Hush, don't make a sound, nothing but savages. We'll show them how they're supposed to live, and if they don't assimilate, I guess we'll have to demonstrate our superiority in every single way. And remind them how we've conquered them every single day. And what better way to do this than to give this land a name? Australia, yeah, the great land that was claimed. Man, it ain't gonna work. Watch us grow like flowers if we come from the dirt. The hurt runs deep. Our people came just to reframe the pictures of the past. So my people know where we came from. We've been here all along. See, Australia don't exist. Just another damn myth. Australia does not exist. What they be selling this myth? Australia does not exist. But they keep on trying to tell. Does not exist by Dreaming Now, D R M N G N O W, featuring Philly, Adrian Eagle, Culture Evolves, and um, pretty great song. Yeah, you're, l- you're, you're listening, listening to, to 3CR <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday breakfast, and the date is, uh, if you don't know, the 4th of July, mm-hmm. and the time now is about 7.52. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so we've got a couple of great things to mention. First of all, you may remember a little while ago, we had a thing called Radiothon. Yes. Now, that has officially ended. And I'm just let, letting folks know that overall, the stations raised about $200,000, wow. which is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, everyone who donated. I know I donated. I donated, I think. I donated <laughs> as well. Um, everyone, everyone has donated, and we've all done our part. And if you haven't, it's not too late. We still have a target of $250,000, which is just over 50000 to go. Um so you can call during office hours and still donate, or anytime online at www.3cr.org.au slash donate. Now, if you're one of those people who are listening and you don't have the internet at home, you can call four, uh, sorry, 
94198377. Again, that's 94198377. And what's the text line? Yeah, the SMS is 0488930855. So that was... Oh four double eight nine three oh eight double five. And your money will go to fighting for your mic. Yeah. Fighting for independent voices on air here in Nara, Melbourne. Voices. Yeah, community voices, um community languages. If you um value that we've got a Tamil language show, we've got a Dinka language show, we've yeah. got um languages uh from all over the, the, the community here in Nara, Melbourne and it's um uh, just a, such a great resource, 3CR Radio. Yeah. If you want to come in and say hi, um, know that you can come to 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy and you can also make your donation in person, which we would really love to have. Yeah, um, donations can be in any way, check, mm-hmm. phone, SMS, on mm-hmm. our website is mm-hmm. also a very popular one. That's right. But um, yeah, no, feel welcome to come in and say hello and see what's going down. That's uh, right. Great res- as you said, Will, great resource full of community voices and journalists. And we've got a fantastic uh, program coming up as well as part Ooh, of yes. 3CR's really great um, coverage of things that you won't hear in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um, Beyond the Bars is coming up um, during NATO week. Can you tell us a bit about that? Just a little bit. This is a fantastic program. So mm-hmm. it'll be running uh, throughout next week from Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, oh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's right. All days. And um, it'll go from about 11 to 2 p.m. And that's just uh, basically looking from live broadcasts in Victoria prisons. Mm. So, as you said, not in the mainstream. No. So this is part of um, NAIDOC Week, Mm -hmm. um, which is a celebration of... Um, the, the survival of Indigenous peoples and First Nations here in what we now call Australia. Um, but uh, so if, if uh, and you know that um, people listening at home probably already know that Indigenous people are, um, what, what do you call it, disproportionately affected, disproportionately by, affected by incarcerated by incarceration. incarceration. Yeah. And so um, it'll be these people that we're speaking to, the people who are currently incarcerated in Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, Lodden Prison, uh, Margaret Correctional Centre. Yep, Fulham Correctional Centre. Uh, we've got Barwon Prison, mm. uh, Port Phillip Prison, yep. and um, so, so yeah, that was yeah. that's um that's six programs. We've got two running on Wednesday. Um, so we'll just mention the ones that are happening on Wednesday next week, mm-hmm. um, July the 11th, from 12 to 2 p.m. We'll be hearing from the folks at Fulham Correctional Centre near Sale. Yep. And um, 2 to 4 p.m. from Lodden Prison, there'll be a live, bro- live broadcast in Castlemaine. Castlemaine. And, yeah, as we said, these are the voices directly coming from the people affected. And it's that sort mm. of really love direct line without any mm. – there's no, there's no main media agenda. We're just getting – we're there's just channeling the voices. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of thing you can support by heading to 3cr.org.au slash donate, mm-hmm. uh, calling 94198377. That's 94198377. Or SMSing 0488930855. That was 0488930855. And we'll be right back after some community service announcements. Each year, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival curates world-class local and international features direct from some of the hottest, most prestigious documentary film festivals in the world, like Cannes, Doc New York City, South by Southwest and Sundance. This year, opening night is on Friday the 6th of July at 7pm at Cinema Nova Carlton. The festival kicks off with Film Worker, the incredible true story of Stanley Kubrick's mysterious assistant. For more details, go to mdff.org.au. See you there. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter.
Smith Street Dreaming Festival is coming soon. Smith Street Dreaming has become one of the area's most anticipated street festivals. This year, we're featuring Dave Arden and Band, Alice Sky, Benny Walker, Birds, the Jury Jury Dance Group, and Indigenous Hip Hop Projects, with MC Layla Guruwiri from the Mangrook Footy Show, and much more. Smith Street Dreaming, corner of Smith Street and Stanley Streets, Collingwood. Saturday, July the 22nd, 1pm to 5 o'clock. Smith Street Dreaming, one street, many mobs, one community. Smith Street Dreaming is a drug and alcohol free event and a 3CR supporter. I'm Tara Sultana and you are listening to 3CR Music Matters. You wanna take me higher. Fight for your mic. Support 3CR's 2018 Radiothon with Greek Resistance Bulletin and Open Studio, 204 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday the 12th of July from 8 o'clock. Come and dance the night away at this 3CR radio fundraiser with performers from Open Jam Cafe Nil. Playing on the night will be Cats in the Canary, Pascalia Latra, Yorgos Sklavos, Kaliopi Stavropoulos and special guests. Supporting 3CR and the Greek Resistance Bulletin means supporting independent and radical news and voices. Open Studio 204 High Street, Northcote on Thursday the 12th of July at 8pm. Admission, $10 waged, $8 unwaged. Fight for your mic. And you're listening to 3CR. Um, next up, we'll have a song. But before we get to that, uh, we just forgot to mention, Beyond the Bars, also uh, one of the things to look out for, uh, releases an album every year, and you can buy that from the station, but that is also an amazing uh, resource and thing to listen to. So mm-hmm. just if you're wondering also what Beyond the Bars just keeps giving, because it <laughs> comes up with an album. That's right. Um, so next up, we're listening to a song. This is Habib Galabi by Awa. And uh, let's have a listen.
and that was Habib Galibi by Awa. Awa spelt A hyphen W A, and they're known for taking old Yemenite Jewish um, folk songs and sort of pairing them with uh, modern rhythms. And so that was a pretty fun song. Yeah, wonderful. Um, next, we're going to have an interview with Tim Jones, who is a senior lecturer at the History of Latrobe University. But before we get on to that, we're going to play um, his introduction, made by Judah, <laughs> uh, the long-awaited for. <laughs> I often question whether I'm a good historian or not because I'm often not very interested in the truth of things, the historicity of things, but I'm much more interested in what they mean to a particular culture at particular times. So Anzac Day serves this massive mythological function. It's a myth in that it gives us meaning and gives us identity. It has a sort of explanatory function Um, And the truth of that is kind of irrelevant to anybody who's going to a dawn service or who's protesting a dawn service, if you like. But it got me thinking about other myths. What should we celebrate? Dr. Tim Jones on 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, first Wednesday of the month. So that was uh, Judith's introduction to Tim Jones, and we've got Tim in the studio today. Uh, good morning, Tim. Good morning, everyone. It's <laughs> quite a surprise. Yes, <laughs> thought you might enjoy. Um, so today we'll be talking uh, kind of on the uh, your article on the conversation recently, which for those who haven't read, uh, was about the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to the Child Sexual Abuse, which was finalised last year. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering kind of if you could kind of let us know what were the outcomes of the Royal Commission cause, and, and what we'll kind of see uh, the recommendations that have come out of it because I know they've announced uh, they'll hold a formal apology in the wake of the Commission and they've said some other recommendations. Yeah, it's quite fascinating actually. The, um, the Royal Commission is a... The Australian Royal Commission is a world leader into inquiries into child abuse and its outcomes are the best so far internationally. Uh, in the news this week, we've seen Archbishop Philip Wilson of uh, Adelaide being convicted uh, of concealing child abuse crimes. Mm. Uh, he's the most senior Catholic to be uh, convicted so far. So, so Australia is a world leader in lots of ways, yeah, good and bad lots. there. Uh, and the Royal Commission uh, has been the most thorough inquiry internationally into child sex offences. Uh, they commissioned a lot of research. I was involved in some of that, mm-hmm. um, which uh, really pushed the boundaries of knowledge of, around this this problem. Uh, and their outcomes have been pretty thorough, or as thorough as any have been so far. So the redress scheme that they're putting forward is one of the best uh, for the for comparable jurisdictions in the world. The legislative changes uh, that they've recommended have been very interesting and very thorough. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if all of them are very apt, but we can talk about that later. Um, The apology is very interesting. So it's quite quite thorough. What what it struck me, though, as I was coming in to think about this, um, was how long it takes for societies to deal with difficult things, Mm -hmm. traumas, things that you would rather not see. Things that you obviously rather not happen, but yeah, things yeah. that you would rather also not n- see and not know. Yeah, always, exactly. Yeah. You'd, if if you can not see it, it would be much easier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was it was the early eighties that child sex scandals in the Catholic Church started to break internationally. Mm. So that's wow, that's now long ago. It's taken forty forty years ago. 
Uh, it was the mid-90s that Australian jurisdiction started to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a Royal Commission in New South Wales in the mid-90s into police corruption, and one whole volume of that inquiry looked at police corruption around child sex offences. Right. So that was one of the first um, things, and uh, it was the bringing them home um, report. Was it Little Children are Sacred? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a report into Stolen Generations of the Senate Inquiry, uh, which uh, began a series of inquiries over the last 20 years into offences against children. Well, yeah, I think one of the scariest things to come out during the Commission was the fact that there were so many uh, priests and police and people in positions of authority covering them up and moving uh, pedophiles around the place. Like, that. that's... Incomprehensible, uh, uncomprehensible, you know, you can't believe it. Yeah. Um, and just those, these ideas that, yeah, it, you're right, it has taken us such a long time to deal with it as a as nation. And so with these recommendations that have been coming out, you say that a few are not apt or that there might be opposition to a few of them. Uh, how can we kind of see that play out or what do you think that's going to Well, there are two areas uh, that have come to my attention. Um, I was really interested. I wasn't sure how survivors of abuse would respond to the government's uh, government's response to the Royal Commission's recommendations. Mm-hmm. So Australian governments announced that they would respond before the end of June this year to all of the recommendations. So that's why there's been things in the press lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I wrote that article, I said I, I look forward to waiting uh, to, to hearing from survivors. Hearing yeah. Uh, and uh, Frank Golding, who's a prominent survivor, he's actually done a PhD looking into this as well, um, responded to my article with quite a long, uh, a long comment um, crit- critiquing the redress scheme. Um, and his critique wasn't of the amount of money. Lots of people have said the commission recommended two hundred thousand, and the government's capped it at one hundred and fifty thousand. Um, he was like, yeah, that's one thing, but actually the biggest problem with the redress scheme uh, is the scope of uh, the scope of the scheme in terms of who's eligible to apply. Oh. Uh, and he pointed out uh, that the institutions in which uh, abuse happened, sexual abuse wasn't the only kind of abuse, or necessarily, for many people, the worst kind of abuse. Right. And he pointed out a whole set of other things which ruined people's lives physical abuse, psychological, psychological abuse, torment, yeah. um, uh, withholding of adequate education. Mm. And would that be covered in the Royal Commission that we've seen? or no. That, no, so, not so that was one of the sustained criti- critiques of the Royal Commission yeah. and particularly of these outcomes is that if we're talking about institutional abuse, yeah. the Royal Commission reified sexual offences as, as a particular, particularly heinous, and they are particularly heinous, mm. um, but there's a huge number of people who only, in inverted commas, experienced physical abuse or psychological torment, um, educational deprivation, malnourishment, all these other kinds of offences which ruin their lives as well, and they're written out of this process of recognition and redress that we've been going through. Right, right. What has been the uh, the institution's responses to, to the recommendations made by the, the Royal Commission? I just um, read that Acting Archbishop... Um, Greg O'Kelly, um, from, um, who's taken um, place in Adelaide, um, saying that they re- reject one of the recommendations, which is that, um, that priests who keep um, admissions of um, child sexual abuse in confession, they should be charged for covering it up. Mm. And, um, and his, his response is, you can't change the nature, nature of confession. And it just sounds like there's a, there are baked-in institutional resistance against um, sort of openness when it comes to 
Um, yeah, this is, this is a complicated one, and yeah. I understand how this has taken the headlines lately because it is a bit controversial, and mm. it does look as though the church is covering things up. Mm. Um, and and recommending that the church break the seal of confession seems to me to be a bit of a misstep on mm. behalf of the Royal Commission. Uh, it's the only point of uh, of their recommendations that I'm a bit questioning. Mm. I mean, they're very thoughtful, and they wouldn't have done that um, without a lot of thought. Uh, but it's an unenforceable provision. Mm. One, um, you know, if, if someone, if an offender or a child mentions something in confession to a priest, that's only said in that environment. Who's going to know? How are you going to enforce it or not enforce it? Um, and actually, it seems a bit of a diversion or a distraction from the cultural change that needs to happen. Uh, in the first instance, it's putting uh, an institution offside. It's attacking an institution. Mm. And according to canon law, um, no priest will obey that law. Canon law places the law of the church above the law of the state. And mm. it actually commands priests to disobey state law where it differs with church law. So no one's go- they're just not going to obey it. Mm. Um, it's, not, it's not detectable. It's a distraction. Um, and... You could, in a much better way, uh, get if you go, if you went alongside the church and got them to say, okay, this is happening. If these things are reported in confession, you could change your um, regulations or instructions around confession to withhold absolution from someone until uh, on, on, until they have gone up to the police and said, I've done this, and, until they've taken consequences of their action. If they're, not re- if, if they're not taking consequences, they're not really sorry and they shouldn't get absolution anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are, there seem to, it seems to me that there are other ways which you could get the church not to resist the change but to, to be more effective mm-hmm. in inst- instituting cultural change where church is taking these kinds of offences more seriously. So it seems a bit of a waste of political capital to attack them on the confessional, even though that's popular, whereas a wider institutional change which would get them to take uh, these kinds of offences more seriously. Mm. You, don't, you don't need to break the confessional to get the church to take them seriously and to affect, uh, uh, affect change and, and prevention of these kinds of offences. Right, so we need to re- really need to target what we're trying to attack. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really tricky one. Wow, no, that's a really interesting different article um, angle. And one thing that I thought you brought up in the article really interesting was you said that we need <laughs> both recognition and redress within this. So the fact that the Royal Commission was such a recognition and it needs to be filled with follow-through was a really good point. Um, mm. Could you expand a little bit on that? Just cause yeah, well... Well, it's this problem of denial, you know, child abuse isn't something that we want to happen and it's not something that we want to acknowledge and it's taken 40 years for Western societies to deal with child abuse in these kinds of institutions and the, and the, the Royal Commission functioned as a really effective, like, kind of like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, bringing everything out into public, producing a mass of evidence along with the reports that have been written in other jurisdictions for 20 years. It's, it's, it's produced a body of indisputable evidence that these horrible things have happened and we as a society need to deal with them. Mm. Uh, and the justice measures uh, and the compensation me- measures that have been uh, introduced um, are some way towards redressing the, the horrors that people experience. Yeah, so the apology, I think, is coming out in October. Yep. Now, um, we're doing as we're doing coverage of NEDOC week, yes. and um, we were talking about this on the phone earlier, um, Tim, but... The idea that, um, in reference to NEDOR Week, uh, one of the first royal commissions into child abuse in institutions was uh, the Stolen Generation. Mm. 
And just having a look at how uh, we had an apology back with Kevin Rudd, but we didn't really see much follow through. Um, no. And just if you could give us a historical perspective on that and what we could possibly do to make sure that isn't repeated. We need to remain an active witchdog, uh, watchdog on this definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it struck me as a, as a kind of bitter irony in all of this that the um, the Stolen Generations report was one of the moments of public consciousness in Australia which brought attention to abuses against children um, and which enabled this Royal Commission to go mm-hmm. ahead uh, and enabled the kind of... Uh, legislative change and redress that's happening to happen. But I remembered, as I was thinking about this, uh, and the government's going to make a big deal about the apology. I think it's Children's Week or something in October. Yeah, it's that Children's gonna, Week, yeah. Um, they're going to make a big deal about that. But I remembered in 2007 when Kevin Rudd came in and made that apology um, how that apology was only political, politically sustainable mm. because, it, because it was explicitly... Uh, divorced from any kind of redress. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that we should be a bit embarrassed and ashamed about, mm. uh, that this policy of child removal, uh, of cultural genocide that Australia instituted, um, we, we, we can only acknowledge it if we're not going to do anything about it. And oh. I think that's something that's worth bringing up again and again until we do do something about it. No, that's... Excellent point to go out on. Thank you very much. Um, well, it was lovely having you in, Tim. Um, we'll say goodbye to you today. Yeah, my pleasure. And we look forward to seeing you next month. Thank Excellent. you very much for coming in. Thanks, Adam. Do you want to learn new skills and open new career opportunities? AIMS Australia is a leading education provider offering government-funded courses in general English, aged care and work skills. Courses start in July, so call 13 26 37 now to sign up today or go to ames.net.au for more information. AIMS Australia is a registered training organisation, TOID 0590. AIMS Australia is a 3CR supporter. Each year, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival curates world-class, local and international features direct from some of the hottest, most prestigious documentary film festivals in the world, like Cannes, Doc New York City, South by Southwest and Sundance. This year, opening night is on Friday the 6th of July at 7pm at Cinema Nova Carlton. The festival kicks off with Film Worker, the incredible true story of Stanley Kubrick's mysterious assistant. For more details, go to mdff.org.au. See you there. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Fight for your mic. Support 3CR's 2018 Radiothon with Greek Resistance Bulletin and Open Studio, 204 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday the 12th of July from 8 o'clock. Come and dance the night away at this 3CR radio fundraiser with performers from Open Jam Café Nil. Playing on the night will be Cats in the Canary, Pascalia Latra, Yorgos Sklavos, Kalliopi Stavropoulos and special guests. Supporting 3CR and the Greek Resistance Bulletin means supporting independent and radical news and voices. Open Studio 204 High Street, Northcote on Thursday the 12th of July at 8pm. Admission, $10 waged, $8 unwaged. Fight for your mic. You're listening to 3CR Radio. 
Brrr. The Smith Street Dreaming Festival is coming soon. Smith Street Dreaming has become one of the area's most anticipated street festivals. This year, we're featuring Dave Arden and Band, Alice Skye, Benny Walker, Birds, the Jury Jury Dance Group and Indigenous Hip Hop Projects with MC Layla Guruwiri from the Mangrook Footy Show and much more. Smith Street Dreaming, corner of Smith Street and Stanley Street's Collingwood. Saturday, July the 22nd, 1pm to 5 o'clock. Smith Street Dreaming, one street, many mobs, one community. Smith Street Dreaming is a drug and alcohol free event and a 3CR supporter. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR Music Matters. You wanna take me higher. And you're listening to 3CR with Will and I. And we just had Tim Jones in the studio uh, giving us a fantastic breakdown of the uh, Royal Commission into ch- uh, institutional uh, responses to <laughs> child sexual abuse. Yep, yeah, it's quite, long name, quite a long name for the, uh, long for, the um, for the Royal Commission, but uh, yeah, it's um, great having a conversation about that. Mm. And we're looking forward to having Tim back on next month. Um, yeah, listen in. First show of every month. Yeah. That's right. Um, so talking about NADOC week, uh, mm. we do have a few events coming up, which I thought we might talk about. Uh, just if you're interested, I'm going to give you a nice big overview of what's going on. Um, you can go with what you want. So uh, first off, we've got the Malthouse Theatre Performance. And I've started with that one because it's next week from 35... Uh, Costing about $35 to $72 a ticket, and that will be a wonderful show going on uh, on July the 5th to July the uh, 29th, uh, yeah, at the Malt House Theatre. So you can go to box office at themalthousetheatre.com.au if you're interested. Another thing that will be happening is uh, the NADOC March. So this one's actually this week. Uh, that will be on Friday the 6th of July. And that uh, departs from the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service in Fitzroy and finishes at Federation Square, Melbourne. So just to say that again, because I rattled that off, uh, it departs from the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service in Fitzroy and finishes at Federation Square. So that'll be quite an important march. And that'll be starting at um, 8am with the pre-march festival and the march will set uh, start off at about 11.45. And the march will um, be expected to finish about 1.30 to 2 o'clock. And they're welcoming all people, councils, organisations. So if you're interested, get on down. If you're interested in joining that march, the address for the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service is 186 Nicholson Street ah, in Fitzroy. Wonderful. That's exactly what we need. Um, and we can also go to, you can also email uh, Vic. Nadoc, so that was all in the lowercase at gmail.com for more information. That's right. I did also want to mention um, a, a gentleman called Chris Lawton has um, recently had some trouble at work. He's a he's an indigenous man um, who has um, gotten a lot of support on Twitter for for what's happened to him. Basically, he was a victim of workplace um, harassment and bullying and quite a lot of it was uh, racist harassment, and so he's taking it through. The, the proper channels in his workplace, but as a result of that, he's not able to return to work um, due to stress and um, and other things, and also just um, you know an unpleasant working environment. And yeah. so he's um, he's doing it tough. He's um, currently without any um, accommodation. And so, if you're interested in finding out more about what's happening with him and seeing if you can support him, head to his GoFundMe page, which is GoFundMe.com/slash-five-p-a-m-l-y-eight. Um, otherwise, you can just look up 
uh, Chris Lawton GoFundMe, and um, hopefully you should be able to find um, find more information about that. But yeah, it's um it's just a a, a case where you know uh, someone is facing. Australia's endemic racism against First Nations people, and um, he's he's the one who's having to deal with the deal with the ill effects of that. So um, if you if you think you still have some dollars left over after three CR Radiothon, then then why don't you throw them throw them his way? And yeah. he'd, I'm sure he'd really appreciate the help. Definitely, definitely. Um, we've also got uh, just to finish off with our events. We've got a few little art places. So at the um, at the moment, the NGV's got a thing that's been going from the start of the year, really, and it'll be going until September. That's the um, Colony Frontier Frontier Wars, which is actually a really wonderful little exhibit, if you're interested, as well as uh, the Koori Heritage Trust Building, which is a fantastic building to get down to, has a exhibition on next, uh, called the Next Matriarch, which is kind of looking at uh, the conversation between seven Aboriginal women who reflect on the next wave of sovereign female voices in Australian contemporary art. And I think you're saying, uh, Will, this year's focus for NADOC Week is Aboriginal women. That's right. It's because of her we can. Mm. Oh, so um, celebrate specifically the uh, the the survival and the resistance of Aboriginal women um, and so if you um, have any great stories about that definitely um, contact us here at 3CR and we'd love to hear more about um, more of um, of what you know and sharing your knowledge um, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're going to go into another song which uh, final song this is a bit more up, <laughs> a little bit more uh, racy than our last ones this is Shake That Thing by the Young Warriors.
And that was Shake That Thing by the Young Warriors to finish us out on. Um, we've had a great show today, Will. That's absolutely right. Um, we've had a great conversation just now with, um, with Tim Jones. We were talking about the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. And, you know, it's um, always worth reaching out to people in your life who you think might be uh, impacted by these stories and some great resources to pass on to them or for you yourself if you mm. feel that you have been impacted by the story or s- stories like it. Um, is Reclaim Support Services. They're a great um, resource for adults surviving child sexual abuse abuse in organisational um, uh, situations. And so the phone number to get onto Reclaim Support Services is 1-800-052-674. That's 1-800-052-674. So always reach out and offer support to people who will be, have been impacted by this story and stories like it. Or for yourself, um, that's a... a, a a great um, resource to great um, resource, yeah. check and do for yourself. Another one is uh, the 1-800-RESPECT line. So that's calling 1-800-737-732. That was 1-800-737-732. And that's open 24 hours to support people impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence or abuse. So if you have been affected, you know someone who has been affected, it's something really worth talking about and... You know, starting the process of healing and working through it. Um, so today, we've, as we said, we've had Tim Jones on the show. We uh, broke down <laughs> Black Fella, White Fella on air for Songs of Satire, analysing anthems. Uh, and we also uh, listened to James talk with uh, Phoebe, uh, Phoebe, sorry, bisexual woman and member of the Queer Collaborations Organisation uh, Organising Committee. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a been a show. great show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, next up is... Stick together. I'm Chai Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR Music Matters. You wanna take me higher? Fight for your mic. Support 3CR's 2018 Radiothon with Greek Resistance Bulletin and Open Studio, 204 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, the 12th of July from 8 o'clock. Come and dance the night away at this 3CR radio fundraiser with performers from Open Jam Cafe Newell. Playing on the night will be Cats in the Canary, Pascalia Latra, Yorgos Klavos, Kaliopis Stavropoulos and special guests. Supporting 3CR and the Greek Resistance Bulletin means supporting independent and radical news and voices. Open Studio 204 High Street, Northcote on Thursday the 12th of July at 8pm. Admission, $10 waged, $8 unwaged. Fight for your mind. Three CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. 